welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Wordbee. My name is Tanja Falkner, and this episode is the recording of a panel discussion where we talked about why LSPs should or should not diversify their services. Our experts shared their experiences and thoughts on the topic, and if you'd like to know whether you should diversify the services in your translation business or not, then stay tuned. You know, some say you have to diversify your portfolio of services whilst others are strictly against it. So we're excited to hear what our panelists think about this. So we're super excited to uh, welcome the four of you here with us today. Why don't you take a moment to uh, introduce yourselves and talk a little bit too about like whether or not you've diversified the services in your business and if so, how or why? And why don't we start with uh, Ilya? Okay, so my name is Ilya Mishchenko. I am the Managing Director at Litera in St. Petersburg, Russia. I've been in the industry for about, let's say, 20 years, uh, 11 of which I've been at various management positions, mid-level, senior-level management positions, doing anything from production to sales. And I also do some public work, like with the Translators Union and the International Federation, and also I'm ambassador for Lock Lunch, just like Diego there. As for diversification, we do diversify. That was one of the uh, main things when uh, I came on board at the, the present company that I work for. And that was one of the basic goals that the owners wanted the company to grow into is to diversify the services both vertically and horizontally. Right now, we and there, there are two things. Obviously, the, the, there are a lot of ideas of how and where we can dive into. But two primary things is that we expanded the number of verticals that we work for. We introduced, the company primarily was uh, doing a lot of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, like shipbuilding, a lot of heavy stuff. And we moved into heavier stuff still, started doing a lot of life sciences and a lot of e-commerce. And that was that was hard and we can, I'll probably talk a little bit about it later. But the second one was we tried to expand our services because, and this is one of the things that I came to realize that in our segment, if you want to stand out, if you want to set yourself apart from the competition, you have to obviously provide something of a better value. Given the resources, the vendor constraints, given the pricing constraints that we have right now in, and we work predominantly on the Russian market, we were not we we're not seeing any any factors that would make us stand out drastically right so we needed to offer something else to provide extra value and that turned out to be uh, corporate training we have it's a whole new thing for us well it has been a whole new thing for us for the last three years with uh, the licensing, with, we started with translator training, turned out to be a very good marketing item for us to promote the company in terms of that we not only uh, provide translation services to professional buyers of uh, said services, but also can trade them in uh, various domains, technology, process building, whatever. But then realized that it would bring us more money if we do completely different things, but still connected with languages. So now we uh, do a lot of language training. As of this year, it's a separate unit within the company with their own budget, with their own management, and with a separate sales team that will start, I hope, in June. So obviously that was with uh, a bit of calculation and calculating, let's say, opportunity cost, what we would rather invest in this rather than invest in better processes and more qualified vendors in terms of translation localization, but it turned out to be slightly a bit more profitable than uh, the uh, translation as such. And then the, the next step would be uh, diving even deeper and doing things like not only language training, but sales training, assessing employees' competences and finding out whether they need uh, better training in time management or sales skills or soft skills or whatever that any let's say HR consultancy provides so coming because obviously when we sell translation everybody when everybody sells translation they try to sell it as an expert more or less right and when they do so and we're trying to do so but not only focus on the let's say internationalization needs but also focus on the on the employees development of the customers and that's and it turns out obviously that 
they have a bigger demand for this than for translation. If they don't have translation or localization requirements right now, they mm -hmm. definitely have something for the uh, corporate training. And it, it's the question of how we uh, qualify this and how we can help them. Maybe we cannot help them, but at least it's something that we uh, also offer. And uh, it actually helps the salespeople to uh, pitch because that shows that it's a full-scale linguistic support, if you will, because obviously we awesome. do more language training than anything else. So let's go on to Constantine here. And so you're you're in a bit of a different thing because you're with NIMSI and, and um, I don't know if NIMSI itself diversifies services or not. So why don't you jump in and then you can probably mention or reply a little bit to Ilya too. All right. So my job is uh, to, to do the research. So while Ilya and the others diversify, I watch them. And uh, I try to see if their efforts were successful or not. Record that, uh, get some analysis in, uh, insights. So when the next person wants to diversify, they can learn from the mistakes of others instead of uh, going all the way and uh, go by trial and error. That's essentially it, according to what I do. NIMSU, of course, as a research company, is very diverse in what we offer. Uh, consultancy, there's training, there's uh, M&A brokerage, we now have a government contract uh, in the United States, so it's very, very diverse. Wherever there is the opportunity, uh, our leadership jumps in, they're very, very entrepreneurial. As for the companies, I have a few pointers how to diversify. Like Ilya started, the, the translation business doesn't excite people anymore that much. You say translation, you don't see the fire in the eyes, you don't see a uh, you know, wow effect. Okay, translation business, okay, interpreting business. So when you try to impress a new person, it's always interesting to have something else in the sleeve uh, so that you can start a conversation. Uh, let's say a company does medical translations. It's a very interesting, big and growing sector, but it's difficult to, to get into it and sell. So uh, instead of offering medical translations, they can come in and say, we offer regulatory affairs. We can help you pass the drug in 10 countries. We can uh, help you get approval, get medical documentation, get labeling on package, that kind of thing. Not all of the services might be very profitable or might have a big volume for, for the customer. But they give the, the customer, pharmaceutical company, an idea that uh, this partner is going to help them make more money because they can help them go into the, another market through, through these approvals. So this service is strategic, right? Diversifying consumption, which helps sell translation, is a very good idea. Mm -hmm. Many services that uh, emerge right now. Maybe 10 years ago, did anyone hear about e-discovery or data cleaning? Probably no one, right? Or maybe there were just a few people. These days, there are tens of millions in these services. So unless you're very entrepreneurial, keep your hand on the pulse and you uh, look what the others are doing, you can miss this emerging segment. You can miss the opportunity. So. I think it's a very interesting time when we live in, and uh, we have the opportunity to see how digital services emerge, how AI services emerge. It's a big change to the economy, and for the entrepreneurs, it's uh, it's really good. They can always, uh, small companies always invent something which challenges the bigger companies. And the bigger companies can always monitor what's going on to keep the status quo. Cool. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to talk more about that. But let's finish our introductions. Maybe Andre, you want to go next? Yeah, that's fine. Well, I'm uh, Andre Hemka, as it says down there. I'm the CEO and owner of WordCraft. We are a language service company here in Germany, in Leipzig, Germany. We also do language training. We do translation. We do uh, terminology management. We do text analysis. We do a lot of audiovisual translation. And uh, the, how this came about is pretty much how how I started the company. I did all sorts of different things. Worked in audio post production a long time. Studied to be a translator. 
we acquired a language school a while ago that has been in business for over 20 years. And the thing is, this diversification as a means of growth is one thing. However, I have a bit of a different take on that coming from my father who comes from the construction business. And he always told me that turnkey construction is the big thing. And, uh, you, you know, he said that 30 years ago and he was right. That's how it works. Somebody wants to buy a car factory. They don't want to buy a robot, a door, a door handle, a floorboard and a window. They want to buy a car factory. So we approach it from the angle, what is needed to produce a certain product? What is a product that is needed? What do the clients want? And what do we need to be able to do in order to deliver this product? Does it make sense to um, have these skills in-house? Does it make sense to buy these skills? Do we understand enough about the product if we buy the skill externally? Are we able to make sure that the quality is right if we do that? So this is how we see diversification. It's like, it's more about what do we want to achieve rather than like, oh, I, you know, I'm interested in knitting. Now oh, I want to learn, learn how to knit. Um, there has to be a product behind it. And especially in the language field, I, I, don't, I disagree that people are, don't, don't feel fire about translation. It's actually our clients do, especially, you know, if we show them new ways to do to doing things, you know, when we, I don't know, when we um, automate website translation, you know, that their editors can now just push a button and everything goes automatically from there. And, you know, you'd be surprised how low tech a lot of stuff still is so there is so much to do there however the main thing is our clients have they want to sell a product overseas that is pretty much what it comes down to they need the people to do it they need the know-how to do it they need the technologies to do it and they need the support to do it this is why language training has a lot to do with translation because well you can have your stuff translated but if you people can't speak the lingo or can't speak proper English, well, you have a problem there. You can use things on both sides. For instance, we, we often start with terminology management for clients, which we then use as a vocab, you know, we then now uh, uh, determine the brand language of the client that is going to serve as the vocab list in the language training field. And our trainers make sure that this vocabulary is then be known by the staff, um, but also the same terminology, vocab list, or whatever you want to call it, then also serves as the brand language in the translation field. We do a lot of audiovisual stuff, and we integrated all post-production processes into translation management, where we can actually do the same thing and use uh, terminology management on voiceovers, subtitles anyway, and even the graphic design and motion graphics and stuff like that. And where you really just wanna create a bubble for the client where he gets all, all everything that is needed to, to do a certain task, to, to do a certain thing, um, to get this from a single source, a single management source, a single point of management where everybody can work together and everything that is produced uses the same data sets. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're trying to do, and that's what we're trying to achieve. Hiring is a big thing, you know. If you still, I mean, for instance, we when people apply, and this goes out to everybody who might see this, you know, if you apply as a translator or, or a proofreader or something, and you don't show me that you have other hobbies and can do other things next to it, then tough luck because you need people you know that can actually do more than one thing and apply different knowledge robert and i talked about this today about the the new training i guess it's okay to bring this up here robert because it's it's a diversification thing if you keep it brief because diego I, diego still got to introduce yes. himself here <laughs> it's like uh, e-learning about wordbee so i said okay we do audiovisual we know how to produce video. We do training. We know how to do that and how to prepare uh, lectures and, and, and all that. And we know how to translate. 
So we created a multilingual e-learning program from that. And that to me is diversification of skills rather than services. Mm -hmm. So that's it. So Sorry, Diego. Okay, my name is Diego. I'm the CEO and founder of Creative Words. We are a localization company based in Italy, which I founded a couple of years ago. I'm saying this because when I started the company, I was coming from another company. And when I left, I had to sign an NDA. So I was forced to diversify because otherwise I wouldn't be able to have my, my own company. So basically at the beginning, I was selling, I was promoting my company as a communication agency. And my intention was to offer different services, including task creation, including content creation, copywriting. But then uh, the very first big project I got was uh, a huge machine translation post editing project. And so this is what I'm specialized in now, <laughs> uh, just by chance. And now we are doing a lot of different services in reaction of different customer requests. I'm doing a lot of content creation, of course, for different reasons. We have done a huge project on content creation for training speech-to-text systems, for instance. We're doing a lot of copywriting uh, for different industries. We're doing a lot of content enrichment, if this expression exists in English, <laughs> a lot of data collection. For instance, we are working on a huge uh, photo collection project now, and the, the aim is to train a, an OCR system. So it's linked to the language, but not very directly linked to translation. We do multilingual social media management also, because this is what I was offering at the beginning. And my customers at the beginning were mainly small Italian companies, which needed to outsource the social media management. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of brand name evaluation and analysis. We do data cleaning. I very much believe in e-learning also. We're not uh, really specialized in audiovisual, but we are about to launch an e-learning platform for translators. So I really believe in diversification. And even if I started as a reaction to my customer needs, now I made it a sort of way of leaving the company. And I still believe translation is as a wow effect for me. I love translation, but I also love to offer different services. So I'm totally in favor of diversifying the services. Cool. Well, thanks for the introductions, everyone. So we've got lots of fertile ground here to go on. All right. So I guess my first question would be, can you, I mean, so like basically like you're getting customer requests for this, you're getting customer requests for that. And, and, and can you not diversify, you know, like, is it possible to not diversify? Is it almost like you have to? For me, the answer would be, no, you cannot not diversify. I mean, I would have lost a, a millions of opportunities if I didn't diversify my services. And I would have probably lost also translation clients if I was not able to support them with different services like content creation or data collection or whatever. Depends on what your customers are, but maybe you, you get a customer for translation and you get the social media management part or vice versa. But if you can do both, then probably you, you are likely to, to lose it. You can't stand on one leg. You, can, you know, you have to, you know, there's ups and downs. And, and if your business is a little more granular and, you, ha, you know, you can do different things, then, um, you know, some, for instance, I guess uh, Ilya will know that, you know, Christmas and summertime is really bad for language training. It's really, really bad. You make a lot less turnover than you normally do. So it's really good if you have other projects um, to counter that a little bit. Ilya, right? I mean, Christmas sucks. Well, <laughs> summer sucks. Well, now sucks. Okay. But, uh... So I believe <laughs> you, would, you would outsource these services or do you have people in house? How do you manage to, to keep them busy during the summer? Well, first, that was one of the things that we thought about because we had several paths, right? We even thought about what Kostya said before about the regulatory services which is like the medicinal registration, huge money, also huge investment, but like 
the money that we wouldn't make, I don't know, in five years, one project only. But a lot of investment, you have to wait a lot, you have to, you know, it's so much prep work so that we said we don't know anything about it. We either need to bring a whole lot of new people, so let's do something that we know about, which turned out to be language training because we have some people in-house that used to work. I used to train people English at, when I was a student at the university, so at least I like know the gist of it, more or less. And then we tried to apply the, um, the all the stuff that we keep in-house, it's management, project management, vendor management, and basic management, right? Like there's the academic director that we hired two months ago. So we can find things for them to, to be busy about, especially because a lot of contracts that we are working towards are usually given to us through bids. And for larger corp, obviously we can work with smaller companies, we can work with, and obviously we do we work with our translation customers, like if they have translation, meaning they have international projects, meaning they have people that need to be speaking English or any other foreign language, Chinese, Spanish, whatever. So there is obviously a need for this. But we also want to target companies that will never buy translation from us, but we can sell them training services. And this is a continuous process that has to go throughout the year, regardless of the season. Because if the bid, if they want to start in September, they will yeah. need to get the bid out, the RFPs in May, do the bidding process in June, then sign the contract and in, at large corporations it takes ages to sign something like this. So, I mean, summer might be a low season, but then if it's a large contract, like we have company in a different city, we almost like surprisingly never sell in St. Petersburg, we sell elsewhere in Russia. And they have like, I don't know, six or eight groups of people that, you know, they, they do, different levels of foreign languages and they they study throughout the year it doesn't matter like we specifically don't target b2c segment we only do b2b and Same they can us. make their people you know study on christmas day well not really on christmas day but you know they can make them do these things so it's not as hard but then then again there are a lot of other things to do for the people that we actually hired to to move this forward Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's important to understand that language training is pretty much based on freelancers. So language trainers work as freelancers. The German law pretty much forces us to do to work that way because um, if you're a foreigner and you're not, you know, you don't have a certain legal status or you're not married to a German or something, then you cannot actually uh, take on a regular position. Uh, however, you you are allowed to work freelance. So that gives us a plethora of available freelance translators. I mean, you know, you know, we could always have more, but um, uh, there are a lot of people that are dependent on that. And of course, you have to treat them well and then uh, the pay has to be good. However, it comes with the advantage that cost wise, of course, freelance, no training, no pay. But, you know. Christmas was just, you know, maybe that's a German thing, but, you know, in December, like, that for two weeks in Germany, nobody does anything. Tanya, you know that. You know, <laughs> everything shuts down, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Very true. So, I mean, you all kind of agree that diversification is key. Do you think there's a... Constantine Sorry? doesn't, he said. Well, he doesn't, Okay. We consider it a good sign when a company divests of its non-core businesses and focuses on one thing. It's um, easy to lose focus and go wide instead of going deep if you diversify in all kinds of businesses. Specifically, if you go wide in your segments, in, in your verticals. So if you mm -hmm. try to diversify, take a little bit here, take a little bit there, uh, there. And it often results in a few smaller companies uh, around owner that uh, support him and his family, but uh, it doesn't result in big, great companies that uh, survive the test of time. So instead, when we see that the company is uh, getting rid of closing non-core businesses, it means uh, it wants to go on for its uh, key segment, key vertical, a key business, and it sees the opportunity there and it probably means that the company will grow next year. 
And if the company abandons its uh, core business, doesn't invest so much in the core segment where they're working, if they start exploring uh, the opportunities around them, that means that the main thing that they do is not as prospective, uh, not as attractive anymore. Hmm. This is why you embed it in a product. You have to embed your services in a product. If you do that, you're fine. If you're just diversifying for the sake of diversifying, I absolutely agree with you. Mm -hmm. But you were also saying, you mentioned you should be going deep instead of wide, but this is where we're talking about horizontally versus vertically diversification, right? And it doesn't have to be wide. It can also be diversifying vertically. Yes. What I was actually I mean, going you don't have to do anything. Not everyone has to build a big, great company with uh, million, millions of dollars uh, that survives the test of time, just for some people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, you need to also to have a look at your market. I mean, I think every market is different. I don't see any opportunity here for language training, for instance, locally. I mean, uh, in, in general, but in Italy, probably. It depends on what, what you decide, I guess. You need to observe the market, and it's not something you really cannot, can decide in advance, probably. In, in any case, it would need uh, an investment, I guess. Be it time, money, people, I think you need to consider which, which one is best for you. I don't think you necessarily lose your focus if you diversify in different verticals or with different services. It depends. I mean, I mean when you go to school, you know, you have different subjects and you add subjects, it doesn't mean that you don't like mathematics anymore just because you learn a foreign language. So you, it's more like adding skills. And let's not forget, you can pour money into things, you can hire people. If you don't know what you're talking about, you're going to burn your fingers. Um, hey, it's also so, a question of communication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Ilya, you, you mentioned that you're operating a totally separate business unit for your language training, right? It's, Doing it that uh, way is going to help you diversify without losing momentum or energy in your other, in the, your core services that you offered previously? That was the thing, because we tried to build on that type of, on that side of business using the sales force that we have now. Obviously, and Costa uh, knows this, that we have quite an extensive sales force in-house not the largest in russia but still one of the larger ones and people always like like mm -hmm. in i think about 12 people in sales and account management altogether and we tried selling the service altogether. like you would come in and you would see that there's a potential for translation localization you do this you do audiovisual and then in hindsight you kind of offer language training, maybe you have it, or oh, yes, you do, let's let's talk about this. But then we found out that even though it's a kind of a simple service in itself to, to understand, and you know, it's it's the biggest problem when you, when you hire salespeople from outside or even from the industry, it's a complex service that we sell because it's not always translate 200 words from, I don't know, English to Russian, it's uh, do a, Two million words with uh, a bit of transcreation, five language combinations, and complex DTP in FrameMaker, and then publish it, print it, and deliver it. You know, it's always very complex, and a lot of aspects to it. And any project is any project is unique, and that is one of the struggles that we have with the sales team because we need to train and retrain and train them more so that they show that they understand the product better. In terms of training, it's an additional product. It's additional, I don't know, information that they need to learn. It's additional sales techniques that they need to, it's, and, and they're selling to completely different sets of people within the organization. If it's localization, they're selling to, I don't know, marketing manager or localization manager or in-house translator. If it's language training, they have to sell HR. to HR. And yeah. it's, it's different skill set, different approach, everything is different. And then we thought that we'd rather use the sales processes that we adopted the company how we build the sales funnel, how we manage people, and how we make them go, make them pass the client through that sales funnel. What are the control points, you know, and apply all the methodology that we have in terms of sales and client retention, client like account management, and use that, but on a completely different sets of people. That's why we're hiring 
like DDM, Business Development Manager, for language training separately because we found out by experience that yes, we can sell to our customers, our core business customers, and some of them actually buy it. They buy language training, they buy translated training. One of them bought sales consultancy because they didn't know how to sell properly. But then there are a plethora of companies that don't require translation, but they need, you know, they need the attention. So in order not to lose focus with the core business, we, we wanted to get this as a separate unit. And it actually helps in terms of what do you call it, thing, because when we approach a customer and say that we are a literary translation company, as it says on the materials, as it says on the website, so we, we need to position ourselves a bit different because then we're competing with like huge e-learning platforms like Skyeng in Russia. And, you know, when they're choosing a Skyeng, which is whose core business is language training and they train thousands and thousands of people and they have the terror translation company, then, uh, you know, it's a bit confusing, even though the salesperson might be perfect on our side, but still. So it's also the question of branding and maybe calling it a group of companies or whatever, but still it has to be separate. So now it's called educational center. I'd like to mention one aspect and Ilya will know about that. The one thing with the language training, what most translations companies don't realize, we also only do B2B and we uh, train a lot of management staff and, and company owners and stuff like that. Very often you get a free 90 minute sales pitch over and over and over again. And uh, you're very good trainers they create trust and um, you often find that this trust base makes them come to you for everything language and uh, you generate quite a few translation sales out of out of that some of the, our best translation clients have developed from language training and that's a, that's another thing of diversification is um, that you know if uh, a client is happy with one product you do and the other product is related and it's not like you know uh, you know we're selling coke and automobiles then this trust can be very very helpful in order to sell the other service or CMS integrate we we got one client where we started with training and now we're doing CMS integration and all that and and we just sort of creeped in from um, the moment when we actually started developing a relationship with them. So it's another aspect. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Werby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. Do you think, like Richard said, you, you have you see it as a separate business unit, but that was now regarding language training. Would you say that like all types of diversification should rather be seen as separate business units or can they be more integrated? Like the, the, the main value of a translation company is the, the project management, basically. We get all the bits and pieces together and we deliver the product through that bits and pieces moving around and creating something tangible, right? So if it's a different vertical, you don't have to be a life sciences project manager to be able to manage that project. You learn by mistakes, you learn by experience, you learn through people uh, giving you this, uh, giving you, providing you this training, but still it's something like, 
in terms of something like that's technically a bit different like language training yes it all in russia it makes sense also from a legal standpoint because of all the licensing and other stuff but i wouldn't say that if we go into maybe if if it's something that you haven't done from the technology standpoint like game localization i would think that we do a separate unit but not in that far detached sense as we do with the language training it still would be the same within the same production within the same sales paradigm might be like a group of people like project managers completely bought out from another company or salespeople that worked in the industry but still it would be within the same uh, general structure okay yeah last year i was considering opening a separate business unit for post editing uh, for transcreation because i'm kind of well known for post editing in italy and i was starting to think that i would be perceived just focused on that and that could not there was not able to to sell task creation because it's on the different sides so one is creative one is very not non creative thing so i was considering opening a different unit for for that but i decided not to do that i guess it's question of communication in my case so it's two different services at the opposite but it doesn't deserve a different business unit i guess in my case So I have a question for Constantine. We're hearing the like the strategies that different people have with their diversification. And I was wondering if you could talk about like the opportunity cost of diversification. So basically like what things are you missing out on if you're diversifying? It depends, I mean, it depends on the type of diversification. Let me uh, give you something else. Let's say you're doing one service. What else can you do? There's a world of opportunities all around you. Some of them, they fall into your lap, just through website or acquaintances and network. It might be good, it might be not good. Then there's the trend in the market. So you, for example, right now, AI is emerging and there's a lot of demand for different services to train machines like Diego is doing. So which ones should you take? Which ones you should invest money in? You, you hear on the news maybe audiovisual translations are going really good. Subtitle and dubbing, like Andrew does. You cannot do everything, right? So how do you choose? I give like two uh, quick shortcuts. One type of new service is something strategic for your client, something which sets their uh, eyes open and their mind on fire. So I call it lure, fish hook. So, so something like um, with which you can get new customers. So that's your vertical where you're already working. Something which comes before translation, before they even realize uh, the new translation. For example, I think WordBee is very big on video game localization automation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the companies that work video games, they, they localize them. So when you localize video game, it's available to more people who do not speak the language. So you can take a localized version. Thus, the audience for the video game potential number of people who want to buy it increases. But then let's say your video game comes out on Apple, on iOS, and you can increase the audience by porting this game from Apple to Android, right? So you have some engineers, they take the existing art for the game, the sounds and everything, they just port it to another another operation system. And voila, uh, you have double potential audience for the game. So the video game localization companies, uh, what they do is they, they add porting. It comes before localization, and it's a similar kind of service. Extend your audience. Fishhook is not necessarily porting, because porting requires a lot of work. But maybe some cultural adaptation, something which makes the game more accepted in another country, so it sells better as multilingual advertising, multilingual digital campaigns. That could serve the, the purpose of bringing the customer in. Now, the second type of, uh, of new service is a cash cow. When you start with some technology-based service, something you don't know well, it's very likely that you won't make a big profit out of it. Right? So maybe you don't know how to optimize. Maybe the technology is uh, killing uh, human effort. For, for a company in professional services, the, the, the money, the profit is always in a very optimized and scaled-up human labor. So that many humans work and on each of the humans there's a margin. So this kind of service, it's more difficult to add and it takes years to optimize. 
but if you can build it into a service line, uh, that could uh, extend your profit by a, by far a big amount. So when deciding what to do, uh, which service to adapt, it's much easier to uh, find a, a visual with this kind of small service, strategic, maybe through a partnership with another company. Maybe if you're translating technical documentation, you can partner up with a technical writing company or terminology management company, whatever. So that helps. You provide more for your current customers, your current uh, vertical customers. But then if you want to completely go into another business, uh, think where it is a scalable human effort and something that you can optimize over the years to uh, maximize your profit. Cool. Has anyone else uh, tried this partnership strategy where like you're, you're partnering up with uh, other companies that offer auxiliary services? Yeah, of course, uh, especially in audiovisual, you know, we uh, we do audiovisual translation. And if you do want to do it right, then you have to embed yourself very, very deep into the workflows of video production companies that produce the content. Because if you don't, then nothing will fit together and uh, you're going to have triple the effort. So it, that's very, very part, close partnerships are very, very important. And um, just for, uh, you know, certain projects, you're not going to, you know, hire you know, a highly trained, you know, motion graphic designer or something, you know, or 3D artist for Maya or something, you know. Of course, the, you're dependent on these, and this is part of the network that you're building, and I'm sure, especially Diego, I'm sure you, you know all about it, right? I mean, if you do all these things that you said that you do, then you always have adjacent services that you need to buy somewhere. Yeah, well, my, my luck has been to have access to many people because I train at the university. So I would call many of my projects crowdsourcing or projects where many, many people are needed. And I'm able to have access to many resources and to offer many services because of that. So I have access to many, many people. So that's my luck. It's more having partnerships with the schools and universities rather than with other companies. But I do have partnerships with other companies as well and professionals, yes. It's not everything in ours. We are pretty small, actually, so it's more I partnerships. Mean, it, it depends. I mean, it's like certain projects, you know, have to be so nice and so uh, so high gloss that, um, yeah. yeah, of course, you need companies to do, you know, because it depends on the project. You have to have course, a big yeah. network. That's, that's, the that's important, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ilya mentioned at the beginning that it was there were quite some difficulties and it was difficult to diversify. Can we talk about those entry barriers? Sure. Well, up here. the money. Your head. You, <laughs> <laughs> you need the money for something. So, well, your head. So yeah, of course. Depends. Well, like you calculate the investment, the ROI, and then you see, you look at other companies, you see them doing this, and then you're thinking that, hey, that's a really good idea. But then you dig deeper, and then you realize that because we abandoned the, the idea of regulatory affairs, the medicinal registration, after we uh, calculated the entry cost, which was not that we can afford this year, next year, or maybe two years from now. You know, and this is not something that we would get external investment from just by presenting a business plan. So they, we try different things, including technology, including the regulator affairs, and then, but then resort then ended up with the thing that uh, we can we know that is relatively easy to build, and that has at least we have the marketing framework, we have the sales framework that can support it, because with like. Registration business, it's a completely different sets of people that we need to hire. We need to know who to hire, how to hire, and what the qualification to look for. So it's, in our case, that's the, the investment. Mm -hmm. And there. So mm -hmm. I would say more, it's more a question of finding the right talents. And you need money for that, of course. We are a small company, so many, many things to offer new services. I need to actually study a lot. So it's a question of time for me as well. So, because for many services, cannot risk and hire someone from scratch at the beginning. So I need to study a lot, to invest a lot of time. It's a question of knowing how to price the service, uh, where you can find your space in the market for that particular service. So it's 
time and talent, I would say. And you need money for both. So. And then yeah, maybe the network as well. Like the network of, uh, the, the easy example, we had a wider net, network of people from the academia because we work with the universities a lot in order to be able to start the language training, right? So we actually knew how to build it because we knew people that consulted us, that advised us, that uh, were ready to help or do some work for us for money. But still, in terms of registration, we had to look specifically and we didn't know anybody there. So we bit by bit, we spent a lot of time finding the right people then asking them the right question and then doing the financial calculation, which in the end turned out to be like we spent half a year on this. And then, you know, it's, well, not time lost, but uh, so you have yes. to have that work in order to be able to actually get the right advice as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Don't, and to me, it's like, don't get, I mean, I was lucky that, you know, I, um, I worked as a freelancer doing all sorts of stuff for ages. So, you know, you looked into very many different fields and such. And that's why I would still say, you know, like be, be, if you have to make money with something straight away, be careful not to venture off too far from uh, your comfort zone. Because it's when you say it's time, money and people, well, it's maybe not a lot of money if you know what you're doing and if you have, have absolutely no clue, then it's probably going to cost you a lot more money. It's a mix of experience, um, knowing the right people, knowing what you need for what. And and um, we also never start anything like that. I mean, not never. That's not true. But we want to have a specific project and then we go for it. Right. So I know I have uh, X amount of money coming in and I can uh, spend Y. Hopefully it works out. So, yeah, that's my advice. You know, it's like I worked in audio post-production for 10 years on films and advertising and everything. So I know exactly what I'm doing if I'm doing audiovisual translation. If you have no clue what you're doing, do it as a hobby for many, many years and then start <laughs> touching it because there's so much to it. But everybody, each one of us has things that they enjoy doing. Think about like, is there something that you can combine with what you already know? And that's mostly a good start. So we fake it until you make it. Oh, sorry, Constantine, you go. I just wanted to say that um, if it's something adjacent, then probably people in your team can do it. If it's a little further, then you need to start a partnership or maybe you can acquire a company that does that. Uh, yep. Everyone's company now. I mean, you can have two people company get it acquired if it's uh, in Europe or in the United States. If they do something interesting, if they're good, there's the equity hire option where you buy the company so that you can get the people. But you know, M&A growth creates a whole bunch of other problems. So, you know, there's that. You know, you might get the skill, but yeah, you go to here. Here's a huge package of here's a lot of people that do their thing, and you have to train them how you do your thing. And but you're right. If it's a complicated skill, then uh, M&A is a thing to consider. I also think mm -hmm. there's a lot of customers that are willing to train you and help you grow with the services with what they need. We've been doing content enrichment for TV programs, which is something really strange and weird for us. But they trained us for a whole week here in our, in our office, and we do that a lot now for many languages. Uh, same for data cleaning or whatever, data collection. What is content enrichment, if, I'm, if I may ask? We are given, let's say, for instance, one of the projects was to train a text-to-speech, a speech-to-text, and vice versa, system. So we were given, say, a sentence which you would use to set up your alarm in your mobile and we need to create uh, similar sentences to imagine what users would ask their mobile to to set up the alarm or we are given a movie title and we need to create the synopsis uh, to make it longer or shorter depending on where it will be published so that's what they told us is content enrichment <laughs> at cool. least so it's basically content creation with some hints at the beginning. Yeah. 
Do you guys think that there is a specific time in a business where diversification makes sense or is it not really related to the life cycle of a business? I think probably the, the answer would be that you need to find your focus first. This would be the theory at least, but for me it was just I did diversify from the very beginning because I was forced to. So it's probably a mindset that you you have. <laughs> so there's no timeline for me. When you see a current opportunity or when you see a new bigger one? Yeah, there's the opportunity, right. If there's opportunity, there is, um, you know, that's all what it comes down to. Of course, sometimes you create an opportunity because you have an idea. You come up with an idea and then you create an opportunity. But most of the time, it's just like somebody asks for something and then you, you make it happen. Opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it can even be for, from day one, probably. Yeah. Okay. But sometimes you come up with an idea, come up with a product. I, you know, you see a gap in the market side. This is would be. This is gonna sell if we do this. This is gonna sell, and then you look like, oh, what do we need? And if there's one or two things missing, then you close the gap and then you do it. But it's always a sort of an opportunity. It doesn't matter if it's a gap in the market or somebody asking for something. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would like Constantine to play devil's advocate. <laughs> is what yeah. I was like. <laughs> I don't know, like all of this makes sense, but I'm sort of asking myself like kind of what Ilya was saying earlier about the sales team and having to have like two different sales teams. I'm just wondering if by diversifying, you know, are, is your sales team, while it might seem like you're earning more money and going faster, is it possible that you're actually losing traction and selling slower than you would have if you had just focused on, you know, one There's or two. Ilya knows it. So they used to be like super cool in the segment uh, that we focused on. They were one of the first companies that did projects, uh, long types of projects with technology and terminology and everything. So they've grown. And uh, then they looked around and realized uh, that uh, they've hit the ceiling in the segment and they need to look around. And there was game localization, philosophy, medical stuff springing up, audiovisual. So every time when they noticed a potentially interesting segment, they selected a person on the team, usually not someone from the core team, but uh, someone young, bright, not very expensive. And I said, go out there and give them help. Uh, make it happen. So they would give them a limited budget to develop that, uh, uh, that, that segment. And in the long run, what happened is that some of these initiatives, they got traction, but it was a very limited traction because they didn't commit diversification. And they tried to uh, win a sector with very limited resources. So in the end, all these new sectors that they aimed for, they only got maybe like two, three, maybe five percent of their revenue from the vertical max. And, uh, and the whole company's growth kind of hit the wall because they couldn't penetrate uh, any of the segments deep enough to, uh, to be the leader in that segment, to be someone on everyone's mind, you know, like marketing. You create a ranking in your client's head where you're number one. If it, even if it's a very, very small niche, like uh, making webinars for uh, technology companies in the language industry, you have to be number one. So unless you commit, unless you uh, you have the resources and the people and the talent and the endurance to go all the way, you wouldn't penetrate a new segment. It might be uh, this kind of decorative. Is that good enough for uh, playing the devil's advocate? It's good the enough. Sales, the sales the people. The salespeople can't, the thing is anyway, you know, this, this whole thing is so specialized that, you know, you, you have a hard time finding salespeople that um, if they're proper salespeople and don't come from within the com company and have been project managers before, they can't know all the ins and outs anyway. This is why we very quickly, after the initial lead phase, they, the salespeople 
pass on to the heads of the department anyway because I don't, um, you know, we, you know, it's nice if the client notices straight away that the person that they are talking to knows what they're doing. If you diversify the client, you have to change your sales strategy a little bit. You can't like have salespeople that know all the products and all the ins and out. You have to pass on very, very quickly in order not to look like a fool. Okay, guys. Well, we're running out of time here. So I think we're wrapping this up. Let me just quickly check to make sure we... So there's one question. It says... Which type of diversification makes sense for what type of business? Are there like specific types of diversification that make more sense for specific businesses or like what they offer already or not? I guess it probably leads back to what you were saying before, right? That it's all about the opportunity. The opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I know a translation company that makes, um, well, the core business, I think, it used to be a core business. I'm not sure that they changed a bit this year. It's that they make these, what do you call it, the playgrounds, you know, the kids' playgrounds in the, uh, like in the housing projects where we get in, we get slides and everything. They make those. They make way more money out of this than out of translation, but they also do translation. We launch contracts. So it's. Seriously? Oh, they, they also do. Our partner is what they use. They sell cement and rolling stock, like by a lot like the in the turnover is in billions well in rubles but billions and they also sell translations so when they come in they say okay we, we our turnover is billions of rubles but we have a translation side of it but what do we do yes we sell cement so but i guess it's a general question of business that you wow diversify you decrease your risks i have a co-working space also but that's mm. good on you <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess, like before we hang up here, I could just mention, like, we don't normally talk about WordBee, but WordBee is also, you know, has diversification things going on as well, right? So it's like it's a product, and like Constantine mentioned, like we are pretty big in games log right now. So a lot of games companies use WordBee, but then there's also life sciences companies that use WordBee. There's just like LSPs of all different varieties that use WordBee. And I think that our challenge is like that. So we are in these different markets and uh, not only are we in these different markets, but the product is it's a little bit different than a service, right? Because you're actually developing product features to serve different markets. And those features end up being available in the system for the people in the other markets as well. So it, you end up with a, a, with a pretty powerful system, I guess. But I think for us, the challenge has just been like we wanted to focus on, I think last year we chose four you know, sectors. It turned out to be very difficult to focus on four sectors for us because, well, well, first of all, from a marketing standpoint, we couldn't limit the sectors that we list on our website because it's kind of like I, I would liken it to things that Diego was saying, right, where it's like, okay, people are coming to your website. You're not going to turn down business, right? So we made the decision not to limit ourselves with our marketing on the website, right? And then from there, like we wanted to focus on those sectors with our sales and stuff, but then we get requests of all kinds from all different industries and you go to conferences and it's impossible to know who you are going to talk to. And as much as I think that for us, it would have been nice to really go deep into these particular sectors so far, it, it hasn't necessarily worked out. Like, it's worked out for us in games, I guess, because we've kind of become the number one in games. But in the, uh, in the other sectors, maybe not. <laughs> What's that? Not yet. <laughs> that was reasonable doubt, but please go on. No, what, what, what did I say? That Did I say something that wasn't true? <laughs> Keep quiet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I have inside information, but... Um, Getting there. Yeah. Anyways, it, it it was a struggle for us, I think, from a sales and marketing point of view, to try to limit it to specific sectors when we get requests of all kinds from all over, and you know we're not very well going to turn away business. Why so would a system that is made to exchange to swap strings be limited to a certain topic? That that's something I never really quite understood. 
you know it's like it doesn't you know a cat tool doesn't care what what you translate with it um, right yeah i mean there's a lot of overlap in terms of the functionality of the tool but then in your sales and marketing activities you can get pretty diffuse right so like even even though your your tool is perfect for all of these different sectors sales is a lot of work and yeah but it might give you know if you advertise for for life sciences that that it might give people the appearance that oh oh we do automotive so we can't use this product you know which is not true <laughs> yeah yeah that's why you have to auto, uh, you know advertise for automotive too i guess it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing <laughs> i think that's a whole another discussion in itself like <laughs> it's a, it's, a, okay. it's very similar to the one we had but when you're talking about products it can be kind of different yeah. than services yeah and the, the whole thing about if it, is it better to be an expert in just one field and place yourself position yourself as an expert or like you said not decline opportunities but anyways I think we are probably ready to wrap this up. We don't want to keep you any longer. It's been great having you all. And thank you so much to our listeners as well. And yeah, this has been great. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thank you. thank you so much. Great thank talking to you guys. Bye-bye. That was another episode of the International Bus Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this expert panel about the diversification of services in translation businesses. Thanks for listening.